Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is 1 Thessalonians 4. Part of my job as a pastor is to be a part of funeral services. So there have been many times now in my life where I have been standing at a graveside, either with a guitar, leading in song at a funeral service, or with an open Bible speaking and teaching there at a funeral with a casket that is about to get buried in the ground. Now, this may sound odd, but sometimes funerals can actually be a highlight of ministry. Uh, Funerals actually can vary so much uh, from one to another. Some funerals are very difficult, but when you are a part of the funeral of of somebody who has a strong testimony and has left a a strong witness for Christ and has left a, a legacy that honors God, those are some deeply enriching experiences. And part of what I love, especially when it's a graveside service, is thinking about the future. I mean, if you are listening to this podcast, if you are a believer in Christ, I am confident then that you believe that Jesus literally rose again. He died on the cross, he was buried, and then he rose again. Well, if you believe that, then you should also believe that when you go to a Christian funeral and you see that body, uh, you maybe you see the casket, right? And you the casket is buried in the ground. The Bible teaches that that body someday, just like Jesus did, will rise again. That body is going to come bursting out of that grave someday. And while you might think, well, that sounds kind of weird. No, it's biblical and it's actually meant to be a great cause of hope and encouragement for Christians. We're going to see that today in 1 Thessalonians 4, but that's at the end of the chapter. First, we need to look at an expansion of what we saw yesterday. Yesterday, we talked about how we want to not merely survive, we want to thrive as Christians and in the face of opposition or suffering in the Christian life. And at the end of chapter 3, Paul prays for the Thessalonians, and the things that are highlighted in his prayer are their holiness and their love. Well, now in chapter 4, he is going to expand on both of those themes. So if you were praying for yourself or for others, that you would be blameless in holiness and that you would increase and abound in love, there's more to pray for, there's more to think about today. He starts by talking again just about this idea of excelling, uh, that we are not to settle in the Christian life, but to seek to grow. He says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Paul's message to them is not, great job, guys, just keep doing what you're doing. No, it's do it more and more. And that makes sense because 
Paul is not preaching to them what he did not practice in his own life. If you go back just a few books in our journey through the New Testament to Philippians chapter 3, you should remember that Paul's saying, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm straining toward what lies ahead. I am pressing on uh, toward the upward goal uh, here. And now he is clearly calling others to that same mindset. So again, you should have that mindset. You should not settle for where you are, particularly in the realm of holiness and in the realm of love. You should be seeking growth in those things. And as he then talks about holiness and sanctification, he really centers the discussion in this chapter on one specific subject, and that is sexual immorality. He says, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So sometimes we wonder what, what what is God's will? And there's times where that may be hard uh, to decipher as you're weighing different options in your life. Here's one area where it is crystal clear what the will of God is. God wants you to be sanctified. And one part of that is going to be that you abstain from sexual immorality. He goes on to describe what he means that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So there you see a contrast, a contrast being between being able to control your own body versus the idea of just passion and lust, basically just doing whatever you feel like. And that's where we live in a different culture than the Thessalonians did. But one common thread you will see in our culture and this culture is how people that don't know God walk in the passion of lust, right? It might not be, it might not be connected to, uh, idol worship and temple prostitution in your community like it perhaps was in Thessalonica. But now we still see so much sexual immorality, even through technology, through media, through the internet, all kinds of ways that people have access to do whatever they want with their bodies, to walk in the passion of lust. And God is saying, no, you need to abstain from that. You need to control your own body in holiness and honor. And then he specifically talks about sexual sin with another person, that that involves wronging your brother. And it makes clear, but the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So I want you to notice how serious this is put. Uh, This is serious language. And we need to just be honest that the Bible is not unclear. The Bible is not whispering about sexual sin. It is straightforwardly telling us how serious sexual sin 
is. And I would say even whatever form that sexual sin takes, God is taking it seriously. And he did not save you for you to continue uh, to live in the passion of lusts like the Gentiles. So I want you to feel that weight of the seriousness of this subject. And I want you, as we see here, the whole mindset of this passage to not settle. If this is an active struggle in your life where you feel like there are regularly ways that I am giving into some kind of impurity, look again how seriously God takes this. And and I want you to take it with a, a similar similar level of seriousness and probably talk about your sin, bring it to light to someone. But even if you feel like, you know, I'm walking in in victory over impurity, don't settle for where you are. The, The bombardment of temptation, especially from our culture, is not going to stop anytime soon. And we want not just to avoid impurity, but we want to pursue holiness. The next section speaks of love. And he basically says that they're doing a great job. They've been taught almost that they don't need to write them. But he says, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So again, do you love other people? And hopefully you're saying, yeah, I do. Do it more and more. And that, again, that's an unnatural thing. Because if you've been around church for a while, you see sometimes the longer you get to know people, uh, the longer you do ministry, the harder it can be to love others. Because maybe you get hurt, maybe people don't change, maybe whatever reason, it can be harder to love others. But Paul here is teaching, no, it should be different. It should get more and more of your love for one another. And he also makes some interesting comments here to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Here, in light of all this persecution, what were the Christians do, to do? To some extent, to mind their own business, to love one another, and, and to keep following God in holiness. So I hope that encourages you there to continue to pursue um, purity, holiness, and to continue to pursue love and loving other Christians. But then we get back to where we began the podcast this morning with this idea of resurrection. And really, we see this pact this passage that describes what is referred to often as the rapture, something that happens when Christ returns and the dead in Christ, it says, will rise. Um, And then we also see that those who are alive at that time, they will be caught up, right? They will meet the Lord, it says, in the air. You know, they will meet him in the clouds and then always be with the Lord. That is what is taught in this passage. So someday Christ is coming back. Those who are dead in Christ, they will rise, right? They will burst out of those graves. And those who are alive on planet earth at that time, they will be caught up together with these saints that had already passed on and meet the Lord in the air and will always be with the Lord. That is what the Bible clearly teaches. And let's look at the text. Okay, why is this important? What effect should this have on me? Well, it starts in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We should be people of 
hope. And even in the face of death, even in the face of death of a, of a loved one who is in Christ, we have hope. We say goodbye with hope because we know that person is not going to miss out. They will not miss out on the rapture. They will not miss out on Christ coming. They will be raised and will meet Christ with us. And the other intended effect that we see here in verse 18 is therefore encourage one another with these words. This is meant to be an encouragement. Now, again, whenever we deal with eschatological passages, passages that deal with the end times, these can often be subject for debate and conversation amongst Christians because eschatology is probably one of the main ways I know that uh, good, God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians may have different views, and those discussions are important to have because not all of the views can be right. But one thing we do need to make sure, even in those discussions, is that we don't miss the forest for the trees. Because here, the text makes very clear what the effect of this reality, of the rapture and this resurrection of those who are dead in Christ and the taking up, being caught up for those who are alive in Christ, what effect should that have on our lives? It should fill us with hope and it should fill us with encouragement. And I hope you walk away filled with hope and encouragement today that those that you love, they will not miss out if they have passed on. And and even though we grieve because we are separated from those we love in death, we have hope because we know that that resurrection awaits them. And also that gives us hope for ourselves. And we look forward to the return of Christ. It is our blessed hope. It is the great hope of the New Testament and the Christian life that this world as we know it is not the end of things. Jesus Christ is coming back. And that should encourage us. And honestly, one thing we'll see, uh, one passage that makes this clear is 1 John 3. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. And so this hope of the return of Christ should motivate you to walk in holiness, to walk in love, and to do so more and more. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.